I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond in order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. Well, I am just... um, Peach, pleased as a peach today, which is an expression I've never said before, but it, it warrants a new expression to have my uh, business partner, work wife, you know, dear friend, Dr. Maisha Claiborne back on the podcast, back on the, on the uh, show with me. Um, for anyone who does not yet know Dr. Maisha, she is not only brilliant and lovely and one of my favorite people, also happens to be a uh, really, really accomplished. She's a family physician, doctor, um, integrative medicine. Um, she is an NLP expert trainer. I'm going to maybe say it wrong, but she's an NLP trainer. She leads NLP trainings. She's a um, hypnotherapist. She owns the Mind Remapping Company, the CEO of that. She's the chief operating officer of Conscious Anti-Racism. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some things I'm leaving out, so we'll, we'll probably get to that during uh, during the interview, but thank you so much for joining me. It's always lovely to see you, even virtually. Oh my gosh, this is so overdue. <laughs> we were talking offline how the last time I was here was three years ago and we worked together all, th- all the time every day. So I am so excited that we we made it happen. I, and I know most of it was my schedule, uh, <laughs> but I, I, appreciate- I, had to, I had to move it once also. So yeah. I feel like we made it happen. That's, that's what's most important. Yeah. So what I want to talk to you about today, and I feel like will be so helpful for people listening. Um, you are an expert in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and you use that not only in your, um, you know, trauma-informed communication work, you also use it in our anti-racism education work, and you use it in everyday life. You use it in parenting, you use it in your own life. And I just, I'd love to hear from you what NLP is like if you could explain that fairly in depth and then I'd love to dive into the ways that you use it in anti-oppression work um so the floor is yours ah. <laughs> yeah I, I do find it valuable to really distinguish what neuro-linguistic programming is and I think that because you know it's 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 because it's NLP or it's neuro-linguistic programming it sounds very ma- magical and complicated and it really is it's not and so simply, I'm going to say simply put, and then I'm going to break it down a little bit. So simply put, neuro-linguistic programming is how we use our words to create change in our lives. Now, what does that all mean? So um, I'll start by saying that, number one, um, communication involves many things. It involves our listening it involves our body language and words are only 7% of that. So that's sort of the first thing is that communication is, is much more involved than I think most people realize. And, and, and we think in pictures, 
Right. So the brain actually processes things in pictures and then we encode that into words. And so when we think about how our words create pictures in our minds, the pictures of problems are pictures of solutions. And then with the words that we use um, really are communicating over to other people. And then they have their own pictures that they form from the words that we're saying. Keeping in mind that we all have all these filters that we're listening to as well. So I'm going to layer this in. So when I'm talking to you, Dr. Jill, you have the filters based on your upbringing, your past experience, you know, your beliefs, your values. And when I'm speaking, I'm speaking through those filters and then vice versa when you're speaking back to me. So we have this, this magical way that the brain works. We always say the brain is like the most complicated organ, but the least understood. And that is because of all these various mechanisms that are happening every second of every day. So what neuro-linguistic programming, the neuro is the brain, it's the nervous system, it's how we take in all the information that we're taking in every single second of the day, 11 million bits of information per second. Wow. Mm -hmm. And filtering it down into the chunks that our brain can actually process through all of these filters. The linguistic is the language, right? So that's, like I said, how we encode that information into language. And the program are the programs that we run in our brain. So our brains are like little computers that are running all these programs, all these software programs. And these programs are really like, you know, the the filters. And so how we use our words to shift the programs, to shift the the pictures in our brain, to empower us, to expand our flexibility of thinking, to expand our flexibility of behavior. That's what, that's the essence of what neuro-linguistic programming is and does. I love that. Thank you for explaining that so well, because I mean, you and I have been doing work together forever and I'm always like, sharing that you do this and talking about it, but I feel like I understand it so much more now. I have a couple questions. First off, as you're talking about how we all see pictures, our our brain is processing things in pictures. Now, I would love it if you would clarify the difference between that and someone being like a visual learner versus an auditory learner, because I didn't know that everybody had pictures in their brains. I thought that was just only certain kinds of thinkers. So great. So great. So great. So, um, there's, I want to, I want to pop something in before I explain that just, just to, again, to clarify a little bit more about NLP, what I want to say just about the, the, the discipline of neuro-linguistic programming is that it embodies a set of tools, a set of language tools, emotional regulation tools, different techniques, belief change techniques and tools that are based in neuroscience, that are based in family uh, psychology, family therapy, that are based in stimulus response, you know, like Pavlov and his dogs, <laughs> right? yeah. that are based in behavioral psychology, um, that are that are based in um, a lot of diff- different disciplines. So I wanted to kind of put that in there in terms of, I, I explained what it is, and then I wanted to explain what it involves and what, where it comes from. So just the historically speaking, a lot of people ask, is it evidence-based? Absolutely. It is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is. So to, to get to your question, the difference between us thinking in pictures and then people being primary visual, primary auditory, primary kinesthetic. Um, if you think about a baby, a baby who's pre-verbal, 
a lot of what they're how they're learning to create their their the, the verbal language is they're seeing things they're they're actually seeing pictures that's how we teach babies words so we actually as we as we take in information the first thing that we see is there are pictures and if you think about before the historically speaking or anthropologically speaking before there was that type of language but how people communicated was in pictures hieroglyphs yeah. um, the caveman pictures so that's like the original language is pictures and and that's distinct from, so now we have language and we have these various ways that we learn or we take, that we that we prefer to take in information. So a visual, someone who's a visual learner may could hear, can feel and all that, but their primary way that they're gonna take in or remember or process that they prefer is going to be an audit, auditory or maybe a visual person, the primary way they're going to remember or they're going to, to process things is going to be a, a visual. So that's the difference between visual, like a visual learner, an auditory learner, or a kinesthetic. The primary way that they're going to learn or take in information or retain information is through walking through or doing uh, the, the kinesthetic way. So I think that's 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 the <clears throat> distinction there. So it's like the type of learner is what you see outside that then gets processed inside in picture form. Mm-hmm. I get that right. Yeah. So the, 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 everything is going to process pictures first. Like we're, we're going to think in pictures, mm-hmm. like we think in pictures, then we encode into words, but the vision, the way we take in information best is, is going to okay. either be visual or auditory or kinesthetic. Okay. Great. Gotcha. How did you come across NLP? Like, I don't actually know this about you. I'm not, this isn't just like a planned question. I just, <laughs> I have no idea how you found it how and how was your life impacted by it personally you know it's interesting because how i when i how i first heard of nlp was back when i had my integrative medicine practice like when i first first started it you know back in the day the way we used to market is we called beat, beating the streets which is we used to walk in the streets and knock on doors and introduce ourselves to other business owners and so i i met this young lady who was an nlp practitioner and also one of the men who worked in, I worked in a um, wellness center that had multiple disciplines. And one of the guys was a hypnotherapist. So a black man, black woman, right? So a black owned wellness center. And so we, you know, we all met and we were like, how can we support each other in our businesses, be referral partners? And what we used to do is exchange services in order to be able to talk about what the service was. So I actually got to experience NLP and hypnosis back in the day from the context of, oh, I'm going to refer clients to them. I thought it was really cool back then. Now I was, that was like when I was in my early thirties, early thirties, maybe mid thirties. Oh gosh. Yeah. Somewhere in my mid thirties, early thirties. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, I thought it was cool but I didn't have it in my radar to actually bring it into my own practice. It wasn't until 2011, 2012, when I started doing work with um, this company, Landmarks, a personal development company, that I started to dig a little bit more into what this was because they had this program that in three days, three and a half days, transformed people's lives. And I was like, how do they do that? So I started doing the research and, 
and, and saw that one of the modalities that gets utilized was NLP. And I was like, oh, there's that thing again. So then I started to research a little bit more. And I thought to myself, and I, at this, by this time, I was already a coach. I was already coaching clients while I was doing my acupuncture and doing my, my integrative, you know, lifestyle medicine. And I thought, you know, how much transformation am I leaving on the table? How much, how many results am I leaving on the table by not getting to the deeper, you know, sort of the, the, the deeper structure of what's going on with them with resistance of, of change. And my background is my, my undergraduate degree is in psychology. So I'm already, you know, fascinated with why we do things that we do. What, what is the, what is the reason? My favorite class was um, abnormal psych. And my second favorite was behavioral. When we talked to, we talked about classical conditioning and operant condition. I was like, oh, geeking out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so then NLP kind of tapped that bone for me, like, oh, this is getting to the root cause of behavior and being able to shift and change behavior at the root. And that's what got me super excited about it. So I I decided to train in 2013. I went to Florida and I did the seven-day program. And I just fell in love with it and decided, you know what, this is going to be, even though at the time I didn't know how long it was going to take me, but I knew at that moment that I was going to be teaching it at some point. That's amazing. Yeah. What did you notice in terms of your own life, like using it, you know, maybe back when you were doing the trades, how did you <clears throat> apply it then? And, and, and I, I know for me with tapping, like it took a few exposures to it before it really like clicked for me and before I actually started having my own. So it, it's, I understand also that when you were first exposed to it, it may not have been the life-changing thing that it became once you started doing the training. So I'll, I'll put that out there. Yeah. So the, the, what I first, when I did the, the initial training, you know, I was doing it very much for the practice and I saw the potential for it. And I think what it did for me is it gave me some confidence in the ability to uh, impact change in people's lives through language. Mm -hmm. So it really did impact my communication. Um, what I'll say is that when I went to my master practitioner training, that's when I think it really transformed my life. When I did my practitioner training, I was still single. I was not a mom yet. I was just living in my own world, living my own life. You know, my priorities were my patients. So it, the way it most impacted my life was in the way that I was able to bring results to my patients, which was very meaningful to me. And also in my speaking, the confidence in my speaking on stage and things like that. But when I did my master practitioner training, my son was just about to turn two. Oh. And so, yes. And so it, I was able to do some real deep belief release around my capacity for being a good mom mm. about, you know, just, and then this was around the time when I was about to, to do the transition of out of clinical medicine to start coaching, burned out moms in medicine, burned out women in medicine. And then, so it really helped to like release the belief that I could actually do something else other than be a physician and make money and be successful and impact people's lives. You know, it was just a lot of, um, of old belief release about myself that, that really improved my confidence. Um, and then it deepened my, it, it deepened my, my flexibility of communication skill set, my ability to listen, um, more deeply to people 
and hear what was what was sort of behind their communicate their word communication by looking at the congruency between what they were saying out of their mouth and what their body language was also telling me. So that that was the other thing that it did, and that happened during the master practitioner training. And then um, when I took the trainer's training, it actually made me extremely confident in front of the room because mm. that was the focus yeah. was being in front of the room and, and being confident and trusting in myself that I knew what I knew and I could teach what I knew. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I don't know how we have not ever had this conversation. I feel <laughs> like this could be part of what we do in our training. So I feel like it's really helpful to hear like what it's me what it's meant for you. Um, <clears throat> How have you trans, I don't want to say transition, that's probably the wrong word, but like, how have you been applying it to anti-oppression work? Um, and, and what has been the evolution of that process? What I'll start with is, you know, it's all for me, how I, how I integrate it now is in this, this realm of trauma-informed communication and of communication skills, right? And so to backtrack to how it evolved, um, you know, when, when really when you and I, this started with when you and I first got together, I wasn't really considering being inside of this space before you and I began to talk. And um, I think when Ahmaud, I think something kind of popped when Ahmaud Arbery was murdered. And then when Breonna Taylor and George Floyd were, were murdered. And then I, I remember I called you and I said, you know, it's time for you to release this course now. And you were like, can you, can you with me? <laughs> and, but, I, but I was, there was sort of this background um, desire, uh, like unspoken desire. How do I bring what I know to this space to impact the space? And, and to be honest, it took a while for me to find my place in anti-oppression work, like with my skill set, even inside of what we were doing. And I think that what, what I discovered was as I was learning the anti-racism, anti-oppression DEI space, what I found was the big gap was that, and, and this is, I think, where we are unique, is that there's a lot of teaching about unconscious bias. There's about a, a lot of teaching about anti-racism, but there's there's not a lot of teaching about what do you do when you find out, you know, mm -hmm. what do you do with the knowledge? What is the skill set, the day-to-day on-the-ground communication skill set that helps you to be able to navigate these situations with ease? Like, how do you listen people differently? How do you manipulate these filters that we listen through? How do you be aware of your own filters and interrupt those processes? And once I started to really get, oh, that's the gap, that's my whole area of expertise. <laughs> and so being able to see that, again, connect the gap with what I know and then bringing it, bringing it in a language and in a context that people could understand. Because in my NLP coach trainings, it's a different it's a different animal. Like I'm, I'm literally teaching to certify. So it's very intensive and it's very technical and yeah. it's very jargony, you know, but in, 
the context of when we go into organizations and we train leaders, it needs to be slowed down and really broken down in a way that people can understand. And I get, I love, love, love being able to do that with you um, in our trainings. And I love being able to do it, you know, in various uh, organizational spaces, whether it's connected to anti-oppression or whether it's adjacent to it. Sure. Yeah, you definitely light up. I mean, I, we were talking about this the other day. You, you, there's, there's a switch that gets to, like you're, you're always like at this bright amazingness, but then like it goes onto like uh, overdrive or you know superpower mode when you start talking about this. So it's it's so great. Um, and people like you can see people are like, oh, they really really get it. So you you have broken. I would never know that. It, it's it's so clear the way you talk about it. I would never know that there's like a whole jargony side of it because yeah. it comes out just like it makes sense. Um, how do you how do you use these skills slash do you use these skills differently if you're talking to like a client who has a lived experience of oppression versus like a a, a white client, I'll say. Uh, who was going to be more on the perpetuating consciously or unconsciously uh, racism? Yeah, you know, this is great. I do approach it slightly different. And and it, I think it some of it depends on if I'm, you know, if we're in a space of, if we're in a, 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 a mixed demographic space versus more of a, majority one or the other demographic space how I talk about it so when when we're when we're in the in the in the majority the majority white or white lived experience uh, you know space or white identifying space the the angle that I'm coming from is for for um the listener the audience to understand number one their filters that they speak through and listen through and that other people speak through and listen through and to understand that um, what they are saying, you know, the ways in which they are saying things can cause harm and 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 it can be, and, and why does that happen? Yeah. How then do you expand your listening to listen to, to, to what's the word? start to dismantle the bias filters. Yeah. Cause we're gonna, cause the, the fact of the matter is the brain has to, has to um, filter things out. And so cognitive bias or cognitive, what's it? Yes, cognitive bias is actually a, a real thing. The, the thing is how do you be responsible for that bias? And then how do you interrupt that? And then what are the ways that when you do mess up, and this is a lot of what I teach around, you know, messing up and cleaning up specifically, you know, the four levels of learning and where the discomfort comes inside of conscious, conscious incompetence and, and um, which is the knowing that you don't know and the knowing, but then the effortful or the clunkiness of practice. And how do you be with the clunkiness of practice? And what do you say when you mess up? Right. So that's a lot of from the from that that aspect. I think from the aspect of the marginalized lived experience, um, a lot of what I focus on is um, is the trauma aspect, and 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 being compassionate 
with oneself, but also how do you speak up when you're harmed? How do you expand your, your flexibility of communication to speak up in a way that bypasses the, their resistance? So that's another thing, right? Um, because we do, even though we don't want to be tiptoeing around, we do want to be able to speak in ways that people can hear us. So how do, how do you navigate that space? How do you, um, how do you emotionally regulate yourself in the moment when you're activated? Right? What are the tools that, 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 that we have for that? So that, that's some of the way. And then also there is a little bit more of the, how do you heal more deeply from mm -hmm. the past trauma? Yeah, you know, yeah. so there's a whole space around that as well that I I move into with um, marginalized lived experience. Is there space around like internalized white supremacism, like the yeah the, the negative beliefs one might in, like absorb? Absolutely, being absolutely, absolutely, and 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 having compassion for oneself hmm. for having internalized what. Sure. You and every single day because uh, you know of the ocean that we swim in yeah yeah um that is it's it's so I, i'm just thinking back when i first created the conscious anti-racism online course and it was like just me and a couple other white people with the intent of like talking to other white people <clears throat> and teaching them tools to like show up in spaces to and not cause harm basically to contribute and um, I remember at one point saying like, my attempt at a communication module was like, I'm going to say some phrases and like, I just want you to notice how, how crappy it feels in your body and where you feel that in your body when I say it. But I remember explicitly saying, I'm not, I'm not a communication expert. Like, if you want that, you're going to have to go <laughs> like, like, I'm not speaking. I don't know exactly all the ways to say the things, but, and so I'm just thinking how amazing it was that our past crossed because I learned, I have learned so much from you and also didn't have any sort of framework to teach it and to help people understand the communication. So it's so cool that that is the way that our skills. And I mean, even as you're talking about using NLP to manage your emotions when you're activated that's that's another way to do some of the work that that I do um and um there was something else you said oh the self-compassion part like that's oh. also a big part of it so it's it's really beautiful how it kind of all intersects yes our our coming together I, I truly believe was divine it was like higher higher ordered you you couldn't like there was you can plan it that perfectly. Not not only us as a team and our skills and how complementary they are, like with you um, doing and and being the expert in the EFT trapping, uh, trapping <laughs> EFT trapping, EFT tapping, as well as the mindfulness and meditation. Like that is just, I mean, and then me and and then you know as a yogi, really understanding and and loving that space of it. And also bringing together this more um, structural communication piece that really has some crossover with the emotional regulation and the and the compassion. So it, it couldn't have been a, a more perfect timing, more perfect match, you know, compliment. Uh, and just I have learned so much from you as well. I mean, just the the tapping piece in and of itself, you know, that piece. 
has been huge. And, uh, and so, and then we've, then we've endeavored together on the, on the trauma informed journey. Cause I will, you know, say that when I first learned NLP, it wasn't from the context of being trauma informed, although I, we were told, you know, we, it was shared with us in our master practitioner, when we learned more of our advanced work, that this work does help to heal and, and, and process trauma. So we, but, but I didn't have the language of trauma-informed until more recently in the last couple of years. And so it's just been wonderful to be able to now language that and for us to be able to bring that into the space, like a trauma-informed conscious anti-racism journey. How about that? So good. So good. Um, what are some common misconceptions? You you sort of alluded to a little bit, like you get some, like maybe some side eye about like, is it evidence-based? And right. I can definitely relate to that in my own uh, areas um, of expertise, but what are, what are some like misconceptions about NLP and, and maybe you can clear those up? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and what I'll say is along with misconception, because hypnosis hypnosis and hypnotherapy and NLP are so closely related and in fact NLP sort of evolved out of the hypnosis space like that's part of where it comes from I'll I'll sort of do some shared myth busting if that's okay with you please please. yeah so first of all a lot of people a lot of people um have the the concern about NLP being manipulation and you know when I look at manipulation everything that we experience every single day is manipulation right when we look at the the news it's manipulation it's spin when we look at everything that's going on it's manipulation so the question is not is nlp manipulation the question is how would you like to be manipulated to be empowered or to be disempowered right so i don't really argue with that (laughs) It's like, well, you know, someone's going to, if someone is going to use language to, you know, like redirect my attention, because that's basically what manipulation is, right? If you look at what what it's defined as, it's redirect the redirection of attention in a particular way, usually to most people think to disempower them. But if someone's going to be redirecting my attention and and using language to help me be more empowered, I'll take that manipulation. I'll take it any, any day of the week. Yeah. I love that. Right. So, so that's, that's one thing. And, and the truth of the matter is NLP is primarily used to empower people. You know, the practitioners, the people who are really trained practitioners who are doing this work therapeutically, they're doing it to create deep change in people. They're teaching it to, to, to teach leadership, to teach, you know, communication, to teach um, speaking, right? Not to teach how to take somebody and, and get them to do what they want. Right. Right. Um, I, I will say that, you know, parents will be like, yeah, let me, let me have some manipulation skills with my kid. <laughs> <laughs> I love this work in parenting. So that's one. Um, some people have a concern and this is both for hypnosis and for neuro-linguistic programming um, that it's mind control. And that's also false. Um, we say neurolinguistic programming is a do with process, not a do to process. So mm-hmm. is hypnosis. So 
hypnosis is the process of facilitating a person into trance, into a deeper trance for the purpose of healing and empowerment, um, a therapeutic change. And so the fact of the matter is just like we're always being manipulated, we're always in trance. And folks can be driving down the street and listening to music and their mind goes and wanders. And then you look up and you're in a whole different place. You went on autopilot and you don't even know how you got where you got. You were in trance, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you're looking at TV and you get so into the program that somebody's calling your name and you can't hear them. You're in trance. So it's not, it's, it's, we're all in trance. We, in terms of the mind control though, we all have our set of values, our deep core values that motivate us. And we can, we cannot, as in a practitioner, as in a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, will not have you do anything uh, that is um, outside of what your normal values would be. And so, I mean, that's just seen if, if, if I said, you know, um, Jill, give me all your money. You'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no amount of, of, of language that would have me make you do right. that. Right. Right. So th that's the, it's, that's the myth of it you know yeah yeah I have a question how do you like avoid um like a spiritual bypassing kind of thing where like we're we're because I know that you're so good at this like allowing people to feel the negative and also because I think there are there are in all kind of spiritual type practices there can be a tendency as we've talked about so much to like gloss over the negative yeah the quote unquote negative and, um, and sort of pretend like we don't feel those things or not allow ourselves to acknowledge that we don't feel those things. And I don't see that you do that. How, how do you, how does NLP or how do you use NLP in a way that avoids that? It's a really good question. And it's, and, and you brought to mind something that's really great. Um, it's something that I'm going to mention now that I want to come back to from a, from a, the point of spirituality. NLP is not considered a spiritual discipline, although, although it, there is there, it can be integrated into spiritual practice very nicely. So from that standpoint, it's, it's, you know, the bypass, the, the, the spiritual bypassing doesn't happen from that standpoint because it's not a spiritual discipline. And, and we say that all emotions are information. All emotions are useful. Now, we also say that, you know, we don't really believe that people are broken. We just believe that people have programs and some of the programs work yeah. and some of the programs don't work, right? We're like little computers. <laughs> so if your program's not working, you know, just like we do with a computer, you upgrade the software and then you run the program and, and you get that, you upgrade your software. But yeah, so we, we definitely um, are like in terms of the the practice and the discipline and the methodology, it's all about being your most authentic self. And so when we, like when I do the work of mental emotional release, especially deep emotional release or negative emotional release, what I tell my clients is it doesn't take away your ability to feel anger or to feel sadness or to feel grief because mm -hmm. those are valid emotions. Every human feels them and they are information. What it does do is it, helps you to feel them appropriately. <laughs> so you're not feeling anger that's linked to some anger when you were five, right? Yeah. Yeah. And 
um, it's appropriate. Like I was just sharing this in, I think a live, we were talking about gentle parenting. I'm going to use this as an example because this is where that bypassing can come into play where um, gentle parenting has been set up to, to that. It's supposed to sound like, Oh, Timmy, don't do that to me. Oh, don't talk to me that way to me. That's inappropriate and sound all nice and airy fairy when gentle parenting can be me talking like I talk, <laughs> right? And me saying, no, stop doing that. And this is why, Yeah. right? So I think that's the, the piece that we talk about bypassing. We encourage the authentic expression. Uh, and we also encourage that you don't cause harm while you're expressing what you're expressing. Yeah, to yourself and others, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, that's really uh, helpful. Um, well, how do people find you and like work with you and learn from you? Um, <laughs> so many ways. Uh, can, can I, I know we might be running out of time, but can I, can I just talk about the spiritual piece one more? Oh yeah, 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 of course. So I get, there's a question I get asked a lot and I think it's important to sort of name here when you talk about spiritual bypassing, people ask if NLP um, is it matches with religious and spiritual beliefs mm. and it does. And the reason it does is because it does encourage one to be, be in tune with their most authentic self and their deeper self. And so it does tend to um, mesh well inside of one's own mindfulness, spiritual practice. So there's a lot of crossover there. I just wanted to kind of Absolutely. put that in because yeah. I think that that's a place where people get stuck uh, in, in terms of like myths around NLP is that it's, it doesn't match. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think also, I'm so glad you clarified the, the use of the word spiritual. Cause I think in my mind, I was thinking of like a personal growth space mm -hmm. and I was equating that with, with spiritual and it's, it is, and it's not like there is overlap, but it's like, like coaching, yeah. for example, is a personal growth thing. And you may have spiritual moments as you're doing that, but it's not yeah. like a spiritual practice. So um, yeah. yeah, that toxic positivity. Yeah. 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 We, we're, we're not down for toxic positivity. <laughs> Thank you. I, it took me a while in my own meditation world to recognize and, and root it out for sure. Mm -hmm. Same. Uh, you same. Very much same. And I think, I think as you asked me earlier, like what was the, what were the, some of the things that helped that, that NLP impacted me, that was one of the ways it's like, I can let go of the toxic posi positivity, you know, cause that's what we're conditioned and taught in certain spaces, like as a yogi, as a, you know, in certain, certain mindfulness, personal growth spaces, I could let go of the toxic positivity and I could just be who I was. And if I wasn't feeling fine in the moment, I could say, ah, you know, I'm having a tough day. Right. And, and I have the tools to move through and the community and people as well to move through, right. The resources. I love that. I love that. Like, not only does NLP, like you're using it, it almost combats toxic positivity rather than engendering it. If mm -hmm. that Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I know you have some big things coming down the pipeline in terms of some <laughs> stuff you're creating. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, 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 sure. Thank you for giving me this, this space to do that. So um, as as most people who follow you here on Conscious Anti-Racism know, 
part of what we do is, is, is the online course. And you inspired me because I do a lot of my trauma-informed communication training live and you inspired me to um, create it as a course. So now I am um, at the time of this recording, finalizing the, the final bits of the trauma-informed communication course. And that will be launching in mid-July, 2023. Yay! And what I'm hopeful that that will do is, is to also give us an additional resource um, for, you know, like when people who want to do the Conscious Anti-Racism course, organizations who tend to license from us, when they, when they license the course and they complete the course and we do all of our facilitation, that we have sort of a follow-up of, of deeper skill set to teach yeah. them, you know, sort of like a follow course of deeper skill set to teach them inside of that anti-oppression space. Like how do you now go and use this to expand your, your emotional fluency, your communication fluency, and that deeper learning around trauma. So um, that's exciting. So that'll be released in, in July and, uh, and we'll be hopefully working with not only in the anti-oppression space, but in like community organizations. I'm very passionate about working with children and families um, with, with, you know, stopping harmful parenting cycles and, and working with parents and, and teaching them conscious and trauma-informed parenting. So that's, that's uh, the work that I'm doing inside of, you know, through the equity lens, of course, too. Yeah. Um, how, so as we're speaking, there's no link. I will wait to put this out so that there will be a link mm -hmm. that I can put in the show notes. Um, will it be housed on your Dr. My regular website? Mm -hmm. Website. Okay. So it's drmaiysha.com. Oh, actually um, the website that you'll send them to is mindremappingacademy.com. Yeah. So okay. if you go, if they, if you go to mindremappingacademy.com um, in the, the, you know, in the menu, you'll see the, you know, where the consulting and speaking is, you'll see also the course. It'll, it'll say TICC course, trauma-informed communication is what TICC stands for, um, course. And then you'll be able to go and see all of the elements of the course uh, and be able to, you know, schedule a discovery call if you're interested as an organization and talking about having your group take it. Um, and then I'm working on, you know, the individual registration as well. That'll be available on there as well. That's so cool. All right. So mindremappingacademy.com. And then where are you on the socials? I mean, I know these things, but I, yes, I'll yes, put them definitely. in the show notes, but I would still like for people to hear it. Cause I never oh, look at yeah. show notes. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I like yes. I, I, I sometimes, if it's a person I'm really interested in following, then I will go to the show notes, but yeah, mostly I just try to take it right off the, the audio. Uh, so I am on primarily LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, I am on TikTok as well. Um, so in all of my handles are backslash Dr. Maisha, D-R-M-A-I-Y-S-H-A. Uh, you will, if you are, you know, a, a colleague or an organization, you will find me heavily on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to follow, you know, just some of the, the ways that I talk about this work, TikTok, and then I, I will encourage you as a, as an action item to listen to the Black Mind Garden podcast. Yeah, so that's the podcast, you at which you were recently on, Dr. Jill. <laughs> yes. Matter of fact, we we as, as we speak, we just released your, I think it was last week, we released our episode. So, 
And I definitely want to have you on again. I think um, it we had such a great conversation that uh, I think it would be useful and, and fun to have you on as a regular guest co-host. Love it. Yes. <laughs> yes definitely. Um, and, and do you, is there anything else you want to share about the, your podcast? Cause I, I'm so glad you brought it up because it's so good. And I would love for you to maybe just share a little bit. I'll, I'll link of course to that in the show notes, but you can find it black mind garden podcast, but do you want to just share a little bit about what your concept is and yeah, absolutely. So I, I, you know, I initially created the podcast to really highlight, um, different issues that are experienced in black and brown communities that we don't often talk about. And, and it's, it's really kind of evolved from there to talk a little bit more about trauma, to talk a little bit more about um, how we use this work of, of neuro-linguistic programming in these various spaces of our lives. I, I have gone through a parenting series. Um, I've gone through uh, the filters that we use, personality, how we sort of utilize our the 16 personalities to be able to talk and interact with each other. So what I, I do tend to um, talk about this work very practically in the podcast so that people can really understand the sure. nature of this work if they're interested in learning more about it or if they're interested in actually training themselves. Okay, that's awesome. And so people can like take your trainings, but they can also work with you one-on-one Mm-hmm. You use NLP to help them. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so people can take the training. I do one-on-one uh, personal transformation. And then of course I do the speaking and organizational um, training and advisory work. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share some, I'm just seeing that like what we do, there's just like, I'm getting this like tip of the iceberg kind of concept happening where there's just like so much and so many ways that it is impactful and I'm lucky enough to see some juicy parts of it and, and look forward to, um, you know, learning even more, particularly uh, when your course is out into the, into the world. That's so exciting. And congratulations in advance on that. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. This is, I mean, you know, you know, I'm a fan, uh, you know, you're my, you're my sister, you know, my friend, my work wife, my, you know, like all the things, right. And, and I'm a fangirl of your work. So <laughs> you make me blush. Um, well, thank you for being here. And um, till the next time, till the next time. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of conscious anti-racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.